Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Bethany. Bethany, if Hello. you could tell me when and where you were born, and then if you can describe what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. Over to you. Sure. So I was born in Fort Worth, Texas, in the United mm. States of America in the year 1978. Um, I grew up uh, in Fort Worth proper, um, and then we moved when I was around seven or eight uh, to a country, a, a small town outside of Fort Worth. Um, the the schools that I yes. So what what can you remember about the early days in Fort Worth? Was it like it? I've no, I've never been to Fort Worth. Is it a big city? Is it a capital city? It's Austin. So capital. when I was no sure, yep. So when I was growing up, Fort Worth to me felt like a big city. To be quite honest, I don't remember a lot about um, Fort Worth. Uh, I do remember uh, spending a lot of time with my grandparents. My grandparents owned a business. Uh, they sold uh, tractor tires and uh, automobile tires to customers and they had their own dealership. So they were quite successful uh, back in their time. And I, as a little girl, would go to work with my grandmother uh, when she went to uh, Hart's Garage was the name of the uh, the name of their business. Um and my grandfather, uh, his name was Douglas, but everybody called him Mr. Hart, even though his last name was Clark. Uh, <laughs> people still thought that his last name was, it wasn't. So they bought the business from uh, the original owner. So I just remember uh, a lot of time working behind my grandmother's desk. I really wasn't working. I was uh they had an old, like an, an adding machine. She would add up receipts and I would play around with that. And uh, spending a lot of time in the warehouse where all of the tires were stored and playing hide and go seek with my brother. Um, so I spent a lot of time there. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, I, I guess the... the because you're doing tractor tires was a very um, sort of a rural type area then in, in Fort Worth. It was actually, uh, the business was in a busy part of Fort Worth, uh, but because Fort Worth is typically the surround, the surrounding area of Fort Worth, the countryside is more rural and there's a lot of agriculture and farming. They drew a lot of clientele, but their physical location of their business was um, close to downtown, so pretty in the the heart of 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 the city. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, 
I, I went to kindergarten. Um, I did not like kindergarten. I felt it was traumatizing. <laughs> uh, I, I just remember being really painfully shy. I was painfully shy. Um, and my dad, I just remember my dad uh, took me to my first day of school and took me to school for several weeks. <laughs> and there, I just remember he would drop me off in the classroom and the teacher would shut the door and it had a window that you could see out of in the door. And my dad would stand there waving at me for what seemed like, you know, 10 minutes just to make sure that I was okay. But in the beginning, I had terrible separation anxiety and I would just sit there and cry and want to go home immediately. So I, I, I took, I think, a, a bit for me to adjust. And um, yeah, yeah. So I don't, I, I don't remember too much about elementary school. Um, yeah, my my parents, uh, my parents did not get along. So they divorced when I was 10. So there was a lot of um, mm. chaos at home. So um, yeah, that kind of puts a damper on, on, on your life, when, when parents split up, uh, and it can have a devastating effect on, on children at that time in their lives where from sort of the age of seven onwards it's really difficult especially if you're attached to to one parent more so than the other and you end up going around the one that you're not overly attached to it so i'm 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 hazarding at a guess that you, you you was a daddy's girl and you ended up stuck with your mother yeah that would be accurate um my dad had uh some mental health issues that he struggled with uh, he had struggled with those, uh, before he met my mother. So my mother, um, was aware that he had mental health issues and, uh, thought that he would be able to manage them with the added stress of having a family and being the breadwinner and the stress, uh, I think, unfortunately, the pressure, you know, of wanting to measure up as a man, I think maybe um, didn't have a good effect on his uh, mental health. So they, yeah, they divorced. And I was a daddy's girl for sure. Uh, I still mm -hmm. am. Um, so yeah, I, uh, at that time, I think I, and I don't know what it is now, but I think it's more predominantly, uh, it's the norm to be, if the parents are divorced, the children go with the mother. So that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it did. Uh, it did have. Um, yeah, it did have some some mm. definite marks. So when you moved out of um, Fort Worth itself, and you moved out to a, a, a suburb, what was that like? Uh, that was uh honestly a little bit more challenging that was during the years uh that my parents marriage was really starting to get um uh bad so there was a lot of uh chaos at home i do remember um 
going to school and at the one thing that I took pleasure in at school uh, was singing. So we didn't have choir or anything like that. It was just, I think it was in third grade, second grade, third grade. Uh, but I would play with my friends on the playground and I would give them concerts. <laughs> so I would sing to them on the playground whatever famous song was playing on the radio at the time. And, uh, you know, in some ways, like I'm just realizing this now, I think like maybe that gave me the attention that I wasn't getting at home um, by, yeah, by singing to them on the mm. playground. Uh, but so that's what, sort of, what sort of music were you singing? Was it country music or... Was it sort of pop music? It was pop music. Yeah, it was pop music. I was a big fan of Madonna at the time. Uh, there was an artist named Tiffany. She was a, a one-hit wonder in the 80s. Huey Lewis in the News, uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah. Hmm. So you're sing singing all those sort of songs. You weren't singing any uh, sort of Dolly Parton or Shania Twain. Yeah, I didn't really get into country music until I was older in high school and college. Uh, yeah. Hmm. So after your parents split up, I get you stayed with your mother. Um, how was that? How did that affect you when you was going to school? Oh, I think it had a huge impact. Um, uh, it drove, so um, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, my mom struggled. She didn't work when she was married to my dad. That was a 10-year marriage, so she really never worked. Mm. Um, and then she was suddenly forced to work. Um, and I think because she had had a really tough time with my dad. She didn't feel very good about herself. So um, she worked a lot. Uh, we never really had a lot of money. And, you know, I, I went to a school that was um, a little bit more affluent than what we were. Um, my kids in my class had bigger homes than we did. Um, they had seemed seemed on the outside like they had more money. They had dressed mm. better, had nicer cars, and I always kind of felt inferior. Um, and I spent a lot of time. Uh, I got into theater and choir. I got into choir in middle school, which I don't know what you call it there, but it's um, there's elementary school, middle school, and then high school in the U.S. Mm. And so in middle middle school, I was. 12, 11, 12, I yeah, got into that'll choir. That'll be secondary school. Secondary school, yeah. <clears throat> so I got into choir, and I really took a passion um, for singing because I think it helped me find my voice and feel confident when I didn't really mm. have much of a voice, you know, in a chaotic home. And then in um, high school, I, uh, my dad actually took me to see a play at my high school. And I remember it was the play Funny Girl. And um, 
our high school was known for having a really amazing, well-funded fine arts department. So choir productions, theater productions were state of the art. They had a lot of money to spend on choreography and fly-in instructors and lighting and sets. And I went and saw this play and um, I was mesmerized. It was a musical, actually a musical. And I, I was just mesmerized. Like, oh my gosh. Like I just, in the, they were on stage and it seemed like so much fun. And I told myself, I was like, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to be on stage. I'm, that's what I'm doing. And uh, the next play that auditioned uh, was a play called Daisy Pulls It Off. It's a British play or it's set in it's set in the UK. And we had to all learn how to do a British accent. And um, I auditioned to play the bully in the in the play. The, <laughs> her name was Sybil, Sybil Burlington. And she was the mean girl in the school and the bully of the play. And I got that role. <laughs> and uh, it, I just remember um, it was just so much fun to play to play the villain. And mm. I think it gave me a good outlet because uh, I, I do. I had a lot of anger at that time in my life and I didn't know, you know, what to do with it. And so I really think that being in theater and uh, learning how to be an actor gave me a big outlet. Mm. So you enjoyed that then? I loved it. Yes. Yes. So how many other plays did you get involved with or musicals? Uh, I think I was in two plays and then a musical in high school. Yeah. What was the musical? Into the Woods. Oh, no. Yeah. Bit of Shakespeare. Bus up your Shakespeare. That one. Oh, I don't, I don't think Into the, I don't think Into the Woods is Shakespeare. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I, think, I think you find it is. <laughs> oh, okay. Probably is. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Yeah. So there's lots of different scenes in that then. So did you have multiple parts or is it just one part in one scene? So uh, Into the Woods, the musical, um, is based on different fairy tale characters. So I uh, was Rapunzel. I played Rapunzel in ah. that musical. Yeah. And how did you do? Uh, I think I did really well. I had an English teacher at the time who told me uh, she thought that I would make a good Rapunzel when auditions were happening. And uh, so, yeah, I think I did pretty well. And you got the part. And I got the part. Yes, I got the part. How how many uh, shows did you put on to that? Was it, was it a run or is it just one? It was a one run. Day? It was a run. I think we did uh, maybe three weeks worth. Friday, Saturday, no, Thursday, we did Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and a Sunday matinee. So we we rehearsed for weeks and weeks and weeks and then did a three or, or two or three week mm. run, I believe. Yeah. Mm. Wow. That must have been a lot of fun then. So yeah. what was the worst subject in high school for you? 
Um, math. Easily. I was not a math. Yeah. I, I actually failed algebra uh, my first year of high school. I had to go to summer school, which uh, I don't know if you have that there. Summer school yeah. is if you don't pass a class. You get during to the, take it during the summer school. You have to days. take it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to take it during summer school, but I really struggled with math. It just didn't come easily, easily for me. Mm. Writing, writing, creative arts, that was a easier subject. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, what did you do after high school? Did you graduate with honours or did you just graduate? <laughs> I just graduated. So I, I, um, I kind of struggled a bit in high school. Uh, I think my my theater teacher would say that she kept me off the streets and she did. Um, I, I had a hard time staying focused in like my classes. Um, I, I ran around with the wrong crowd and the, really the only thing that kind of kept me focused was going to choir rehearsal or theater rehearsal. So I spent a lot of time there. Uh, but I didn't really apply myself academically. Uh, I just kind of did what I could to pass my classes because I had to pass my classes in order to perform and stay in the play or stay in the production. Um, and then I, uh, I think I took a semester off. I started to go to college um, I went a few years and uh, dropped out of college and moved to LA to be an actor. <laughs> so, so what were you doing at college? So I, um, I was majoring in radio TV film. It was a, 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 an area of study that uh, I learned how to uh, you know, do TV production, film production, um, write and edit films, um, you know, work behind the scenes at a TV studio, production studio. So my, my thought process was, um, you know, I could, it would give me like some experience and some education of what happens behind the scenes. And I could, um, you know, get a job working, um, working on a film production or working on it or, or write a movie or create a movie. Um, so I had a lot of really big, big dreams when I was in my early twenties. Um, I did not want to stay in Texas. I knew that from a very young age, I knew that I either wanted to move to New York or LA I did not want to get married. I did not want to have kids. I did not want to do the whole thing with a white picket fence and <laughs> be like every other one of my friends and stay, you know, live close to my, I wanted to get away. <laughs> like I just wanted to like, yeah. So you dropped out of college and you <laughs> found yourself in LA. Yes. What was, what was the first job you did in LA then? I waitressed. I waitress at a restaurant uh, in Century City, which is just outside of Beverly Hills. Century City is also where all of the top agents are. 
um, their offices are. So I, I, I worked as a waitress at a restaurant there. I hated it. I hated every second of it, but I had to pay the bills. Um, mm. Yeah. So, so did you act like a waitress? Uh, you, I acted. Did you no, put on the act every day? Or woke I up in the morning, to, put the makeup had, on. Today, I'll be an actress. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was an actress trying to be a waitress. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, the the reality is there are probably hundreds of thousands of people there that are trying mm. to be an actor, and then you know. You have to pay your bills, yeah. and it's an expensive Absolutely. city. So, <laughs> <laughs> so did you get your big break? Um, I did not uh, get. I did not get a big break. I had a little bit of success. Um, I did a couple of commercials. Um, I did some student films. Nothing that anybody would ever see publicly. Um, I did some theater and, uh, but while I was in LA, I started, uh, practicing yoga. So I started practicing yoga when I was in college and that really, really, um, changed, uh, my life. It changed my mental health. It changed so many things, uh, about myself. And, uh, when I moved to LA, I was, you know, it's a very, it's a, stressful city. There's lots of people. There's lots of traffic. I struggled a bit um, for a while. So I started practicing yoga there. And the yoga community, there are world-renowned teachers in Los Angeles, um, very talented teachers. Um, and I, I really took a love for the practice. And then I started teaching yoga. And when I started teaching yoga, I found even more fulfillment teaching than I did in acting. So I eventually quit acting. Yeah, because it was no longer fulfilling. Mm. So you took up teaching people yoga. So how did you go? How did you go about that in the first place? I mean, you obviously fell in love with it, and something you wanted to do. So. How yeah. did you get the, the initial training to be able to become a, a trainer? So uh, I took, there was a studio that I practiced at and then they, they offered a uh, teacher training. So I signed up for their teacher training and began teaching. And soon after that, uh, had a few private clients, people that attended my class and asked, hey, do you teach privately? Could you come to my home? a few times a week and teach me privately so I don't have to drive all the way over here. Um, so that started, um, that happened. So I had a few private clients during this time. I had a full-time job, um, working for a law firm, uh, as, uh, their office manager. Um, and then I, I, um, I, I knew there was more to teaching yoga than just, um, the pose itself or mm -hmm. correcting somebody's form. So I uh, started researching on how to become a yoga therapist, which is more advanced and uh, opens the door to work in hospitals, to work 
uh, with trauma survivors, to work with uh, people who suffer from anxiety, depression, and um, yeah. So I eventually took a yoga therapy training uh, and became a yoga therapist. Uh So did that start opening up a lot more doors for you? And did you stay in L.A.? No, so I did not stay in L.A. So I uh, moved back to Texas. I I moved back to Texas in 2012. Uh, I actually finished college in 2012, thinking that if I got my degree, that would open more doors. Um, It did not. Um, I took yoga therapy training in 2013. Um, became certified and started uh, seeing clients uh, privately part-time while I worked full-time. And then in 2015, I was laid off from my full-time job and decided to work for myself indefinitely. So um, since then, I have transitioned to online work only. Um, and I have a program for women who have had often troubled childhoods like myself, who've had difficulty in relationships, um, attracting, uh, difficult men, difficult partners who struggle to feel confident. And so I work with them on healing their trauma and attracting healthy relationships. Ah. Now, did that come about because of the lockdown or did you start doing the online stuff before we ever got that far? Yeah, I started doing it before. So the lockdown wasn't really much different for me. Um, I'd started working online uh, exclusively with uh, yoga therapy and my clients in 2019. Hmm. So how did you go about growing that business in the first place? What gave you the idea of doing it online before it came really popular to be online? Right. So when I, when I moved from back home to Texas from LA, um, yeah, I just, I saw, I think somewhere in my heart, I just knew I was never meant to work uh, in a nine to five job. I just, any, any job that I ever had, I just didn't like it. I just felt stifled. I felt um, I unhappy. And, you know, even if I was making a really great salary, I just never felt like it was the right thing for me to be doing. And I was at a bookstore one day and I saw a book by an entrepreneur, um, Chris Gillibo, and it was called The $100 Startup. And I was like, that's interesting. So I I picked up this book and I read it. And the whole uh, premise was how to have an online business, have location freedom, create financial freedom, work on your own schedule, um, and have a really amazing life doing it. So um, it took me several years to put that into practice, but long story short, I hired a coach and, um, invested, uh, invested more money than I was comfortable with at the time to hire an expert to help me build an online business. Um, 
to teach me how to market myself properly, to teach me how to run paid advertising on Facebook and YouTube, to teach me how to um, coach clients, to teach me how to basically all of the nuts and bolts of building a profitable online business. And um, yeah, that was back in 2019. I transitioned my one-to-one private clients online only, and I haven't looked back. Ah. So how did you fund it to start with? You said you you weren't overly comfortable with uh, what you were spending. I guess it wasn't that $100 that he was... uh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had, uh, I actually had savings. So I used savings and then I had um, credit cards. So savings and credit cards were my, um, my capital at the time. Hmm. How long did it take to, to, for it to start sort of bringing in enough revenue to live? Yeah. Um, I would say two years, two years. I was profitable uh, in year two. Um, And yeah, I was very profitable in year two. So the first year, not so much. The first year was a lot of testing and a lot of mistakes and a lot of cleaning up the mistakes and continuing to move forward and getting resourceful and doing whatever I had to do. Um, but I feel fortunate that I've been um, profitable and successful and truly am able to do what I love, work on my own schedule, uh, work with clients who are amazing and uh, have the freedom that I want. Yeah. Mm. So what advice would you give to anybody that wants to go down a similar sort of route? What, what, what would be your top tips for somebody that wants to to have an online business and work for themselves what mistakes would you recommend not making well i think that mistakes are part of the process Uh, i think a lot of people never start because they're afraid of failure and i think the fear of failure will keep many many people stuck in jobs that they don't like undercharging, selling themselves short. So the first thing that I would tell someone is that failure is 100% going to happen to you. It's part of being an entrepreneur. It's part of being a business owner. It's part of any type of dream. If you set out to follow your heart and chase your dream, you are going to be met with failure 100% of the time. And to embrace it and to not let that hold you back. Um, One of the things a casting director once told me in Los Angeles was basically the same advice he gave to every actor. And there were hundreds of thousands of actors trying to make it. it simple, never, ever quit, never, ever quit. There will be people who will give up at the first signs of failure or the fourth signs of failure or the 10th signs of failure, and they'll quit and they'll say it's too much. But if you just keep going, uh, your success is inevitable. So persistence pays off. Um, Believing in yourself, there will be dark nights of the soul. (laughs) (laughs) Believing in yourself is, uh, is, is critical. 
even when you feel like quitting, you'll feel like quitting a lot. Um, you just have to keep going and remember why. Why are you doing? Why are you chasing that dream? Why are you? Why are you doing that? Hmm. So, where do you see yourself going from from now? What's your long term goals? So, my long term goals. Um, my long term goal is to raise a lot of awareness for domestic violence survivors and to change how that's handled here in the United States and probably abroad as well. A lot of domestic violence shelters and centers, um, you know, focus on getting the, the client into a job, into safe housing, into getting her life stable, but they don't really address the trauma aspect of that. And a lot of these women will leave that abusive relationship and then a few years later get into another abusive relationship or another abusive relationship. And they haven't really learned the how to change their psychology deep enough to stop that pattern. So that's my long term goal is to like change the landscape of how domestic violence is treated here and then how, like what counts as domestic violence. So a lot of times uh, in the United States, uh, you cannot file, we have a protective order or a restraining order that, that allows a partner to, uh, it's like a legal order that, you know, it's, it's against the law if your partner comes close to you. Well, in order to obtain a protective order or restraining order in some states, you have to be physically assaulted by your partner. And, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people that they haven't yet been physically assaulted by their partner, but their partner stalks them after work or their partner um, sends them 40 phone messages or 40 text messages in an hour. So these are not physical assaults, but in the court system, it doesn't warrant obtaining a protective order. And unfortunately, I'm sure as you know, in the news here, there's a lot of gun violence. <laughs> and, um, you know, a lot of times uh, the protective order can't, you know, it, it, it takes somebody, uh, unfortunately, resorting to gun violence against uh, their partner. And sometimes it's too late. Um, to get that protective order. So my goal is to really advocate and change the landscape of domestic violence. Um, I would like to serve as many women as possible with my work, um, whether that's writing a book, whether that's speaking, whether that's having a more accessible program that, you know, people can purchase online. Um, yeah, so those are my, those are my long-term goals. I would like to build out my company a little bit more. Um, have a, a more robust team um, and serving more women every year in my work. Hmm. Because I, I guess that physical violence is one thing, but more often than not, it's the uh, mental violence that, that really does uh, affect more women than it does the physical side of it. I mean, you get you get slapped around a bit, uh, and that's one thing, but the the constant 
of the the, the, the psychological effects on people. Um, that's where the real damage is done, and 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 you can't see the the the, the mental damage that that causes. And until there's a change in the law, where they they um, they see that mental side of it, then that's when that needs to change. And I think you're doing a fantastic job along those lines. Thank you. Yeah, I do feel like the emotional abuse, the mental or psychological abuse, is is really the silent killer and. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, public cases here in the United States uh, where, you know, the uh, a partner, you know, kills his spouse or she kills her spouse. And, you know, it the the violent the gun violence at that point or the, you know, um, that level of domestic assault is like. The, the final point, like there's years of emotional and psychological abuse before it got to that point. And, you know, people, a lot of people leave before it ever gets physical, but then they suffer for many years after that from the trauma. Um, they have high blood pressure. They have uh, stomach, IBS, IBD, ulcers. They, um, you know, some I work with people who have had cancer. There's a lot of that physical stress, that that emotional and psychological abuse um, can create, you know, uh, physical complications, and it holds people back in life. They don't enjoy their lives. They don't take risks. They they're just existing, but they're not really living. Yeah, and I guess uh, and. Until we could get that sort of side of things sorted out, then it's just going to go on. Maybe it's it's something that needs to be taught at an early age. Maybe it's, it, it comes yeah. right from 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 kindergarten to show that it's not right to abuse somebody, and uh, maybe that's a, that's an angle you could look at. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think. Uh, an awful lot stems from early years of people's upbringing, seeing uh, domestic violence in the home, then that manifests itself in in the, the, the individual growing up. And then they, when they find themselves getting married and stuff like that, they think it's okay to, to carry on like their parents did. And I yeah. think that's where some sort of education needs to come across. Uh, and, a, and a major campaign, possibly, uh, showing that it's not okay to be violent towards anybody. Absolutely. And, you know, I really feel like um, if that was uh, taught earlier on, uh, I think that that would even improve the rate of school gun violence that we have here in the United States because a lot of these uh, school shooters come from uh, an unhealthy childhood. They come from childhood trauma. They came from a broken home. They yeah. never got their needs met. And then that festers in their psychology until they believe that they have to do something so drastic to uh, gain attention. 
So yeah, I do believe uh, deeper teaching on nonviolence and what's okay and what's not okay is is definitely yeah. warranted. Yeah. Showing out the right from the wrong, right from the word go, really. And may, maybe a start of that is, is change some of your gun laws over there. Because <laughs> we've seen it over here. It's, um, they've had a couple of really big incidents recently that uh, have hit the world stage. Um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I still feel, I, you know, there's part of me that feels like because, you know, the United States was kind of founded by separating from Great Britain and separating. There's this like outlaw mentality. We had this outlaw yeah. mentality, you know, when we took a land away where you from went the... wrong then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps you should have stuck, stuck with us then. <laughs> you might have done slightly better off. I know. So I still feel that there's this like cultural outlaw thing that's kind of like under the, you know, under the mainstream current. So yeah, historical, like, yeah. Well, I think we'll draw a line there, Bethany. Thank you. Yeah. I've, I've enjoyed this little chat. Yes. Likewise. Thank you so much. You're welcome. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.